Welcome to the show. It is Daniel Wertman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. It is Thursday, June the 6th. Last night, the U.S. men's national team, the senior team, lost 1-0 to Jamaica in a friendly. Didn't look good. One of the things that is is clear to see, if you look at the U.S. national team program, there's not a lot of depth. And and just to kind of put that into perspective, and, and, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, when you watch a game like last night, you, you see it become more evident as well. Um, and that is, last year at the World Cup, our best player, of course, we were not at the World Cup, Thanks to uh, thanks to a failure in in the fall of 2017 to qualify against Trinidad and Tobago, but last year at the 2018 World Cup, Christian Pulisic would not have been in the starting eleven for France and likely would not have even made the squad, the 23 man squad for the World Cup, and he is our best player at this point. That's how far behind we are. Our best is not even in the 23-man squad for France. Now, when you look at when you when you look at our U.S. national team internally and compare that to um, you know that French national team, and you start looking at it from a depth perspective, after Christian Pulisic, there's a big drop off, and. After that drop off, there's an even bigger drop off, and so what we what we see is a big lack of depth. So, if 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 for example, if we had eleven Christian Pulisic caliber players on the field at the same time for the U.S., we would be very very competitive, very dangerous as a country even though christian may not be in that france starting 11 he's still a very very good player very talented player and if we had a full team of that caliber of a player we would we would have a a national team that is very competitive on the global stage are we winning a world cup i don't know but we would be very competitive we we would not be worrying like can we even make it out of the group we, we we would at least have this mentality of we're making out of the group we'll see how far we can go kind of thing looking at this this group we just don't have that depth you look at some of the players coming in from mls they're just they're not good enough to play on a global scale um, the 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 league that they play in doesn't prepare them for the global scale. It, it's a sloppy played league. It's it's a very slow paced league uh, from the standpoint of how fast and quick the ball moves. Say in in Europe or other countries, other national teams, cleanliness of play, technical, the tactical understanding, a lot of those things is they're just they're not there. And so when you look at the player pool, this is why it's important to remember when, when you get all of this heat that has been thrown at for 
example, Jurgen Klinsmann. Jurgen is not, in my view, a great tactical manager. I think he's more of a 50,000-foot view kind of person. I, I actually think he would be a terrific U.S. soccer president. Um, I don't think he's necessarily a great tactician or great you know, manager of a team on a day-to-day basis or even a national team level. Like, I think he's actually more of like an executive that hires that coach that oversees programs. Like he's a vision type guy, um, but maybe not the guy that's going to actually put the vision into place, etc. But, but Jurgen, Bruce arena, and now, coming back in with Greg Berhalter, these three managers, Bob Bradley before Jurgen, are all dealing with the same issue. We don't have the player pool. We don't have the depth. You know, our our one one hat we can hang, you know, you know, our the one hat that we that we proudly boast about in Christian Pulisic, the one that everybody got excited about, you know, 18 months ago, two years ago, he came and developed and came out of the U.S. system to develop. Like, he is where he is despite our system, not because of it. He didn't come up through MLS academies. He didn't come up through MLS. He left. He left at, you know, 15 and went to Germany. He got out of here. He, the, the best way to think of it is, is he escaped American soccer in order to become a really good soccer player. And that is an indictment on our system. And you can, you can try to paint it with any brush you want to paint it with. You can be an apologist for U.S. soccer. You can be an apologist for MLS. But the truth is that our, our player pool doesn't have the depth that it needs because our player pool has primarily been domestic based and our domestic system isn't good enough. It's not churning out um, Christian Pulisic caliber players, much less a Messi or a Ronaldo. So, you know, when you, when you look at all of that and you look at the depth or the lack of depth available to the national team and the national team program you have to really start to to wonder you know where where does this change come from what can we do different you know when when we look at um when we look at the netherlands for example we see some really good young talents frankie de jong uh matthias delight delit however you want to pronounce them I'm I'm not Dutch, and so uh, I'm sure I just murdered your name, and I apologize. I hope you still come to Barca. Um, you you see one of the top defenders in the world right now, Virgil Van Dijk at Liverpool. You you see some really good players, and there's more on the way. One of the things that they that they looked at themselves at after struggling in the Euro, struggling uh, with World Cup qualification is they they kind of re-examined what are we doing on the youth space? What are we doing to prepare players, to, to train players, to create and develop quality footballers? So they, they started changing some of the, the things that they were looking at. 
Dutch football has always kind of been known as as kind of the Swiss Army knife type of footballer, meaning that they're very technical, total football. We're just going to play anywhere, wherever. But one of the things that they diagnosed in themselves is we, we also need to start to look at developing players positionally. And so they've started to do some of that. They've started finding players and developing players with a certain positional mindset and training them based on that positioning. And and they're now, like, even at 15, 16, there's some really, really top talents coming up, and everyone's, you know, looking to the Netherlands as like, hey, there's a generation of players here that are going to be really good. And it might be the, the, the top collection of talent at that age in the world right now. Um, introspection and, and an honest introspection and then a willingness to, to embrace whatever you discover, whatever you figure out about yourself, to embrace that and, and, and deploy that in your system. Um, that is something that, that the Dutch Federation has taken upon themselves and these clubs have taken upon themselves. And it's something that the U S has not done. We, we continue to operate from a dangerous position. And that position is this arrogance combined with ignorance. When you have arrogance and ignorance at play, you're going to be blind in, in, in all directions to what you need to do. You're not going to be able to see a solution because you don't think there's a solution to be seen. And when you look at American soccer, when you look at the U.S. Soccer Federation, when you speak to representatives from the U.S. Soccer Federation, you don't get a, you don't get a, a sense of humility. You don't get a posture of, of, being a listener of being humble of wanting to learn you would think a federation that has continued to underachieve for decades would be one of the most humble federations in the world that they would be constantly seeking information from their members from federations around the world from people that that have ideas that are different than what we're doing because we all know the definition of insanity is to repeat the same things over and over again, expecting a different result. So we can't keep doing what we're doing and expect to get better. We can't keep doing what we're doing, expecting that MLS is going to make it work and that we're all of a sudden going to start producing world-class players out of the MLS system. It hasn't happened so far. It's not going to happen because we're repeating the same things over and over again, expecting different results. It's not going to happen. So what do we need to do? What should our posture be? Our posture should be a learning posture. It shouldn't be arrogance and ignorance. It should be willingness and eagerness to learn, to embrace, to say, look, we don't have all the answers. So let's, let's open our system to everybody and let the best ideas win. Let the best organizations win. We don't have all the answers. We're not going to play gatekeeper. We're going to create highways. We're going to create an interstate system 
for soccer in America. And we're going to just say, look, here's the roads. Here's the path. They're all open. No tolls. Get on the road and drive. Drive your club. If you're a player, drive your career as far as you can take it. And you get all the opportunities. You take all of the, the opportunities. You make it happen for yourself. And whatever, where, wherever the chips fall, whatever happens, that's where that that's what it is. We're not gonna we're not going to ensure or try to make certain outcomes. We're not gonna guarantee outcomes, which is what we're doing now. We're not going to we're not going to to do partnerships with clubs that are or or, or organizations companies that are selected get exclusive access we're not going to do that anymore we're going to say anybody can come in anybody can play anybody can be a part at the highest levels of the game because we don't have the answers it works around the world so why not try it here it works around the world so why not embrace it here and the answer is those in charge aren't really interested in reaching world class. They're not really interested in creating opportunity for everybody everywhere. They're not really interested in world class national teams. They'll say things, but the actions are not matching up. They'll make proclamations, but the work is it evident? The only way we fix this is to empower every person in this country to dream big, work really, really hard, and the accountability of your results, i.e. sporting merit, take precedent. Until we're in that arena and into that system, we are going to have chaos and dysfunction we're going to have leagues warring against leagues, organizations warring against other organizations. It is, it is a mess in U.S. soccer, an absolute mess. And, and, and I don't care what they try to say. Anybody from the Federation or Major League Soccer, any, they, they may try to say, oh, no, we've got this. And we got, I'm telling you. If you start looking into U.S. soccer, the national landscape, your head's going to spin. And you're going to learn about one lawsuit after another. You're going to learn about one conflict after another. You're going to learn about one dysfunction after another. And you're going to realize very quickly that things are much worse than the public has been led to believe. And, um, and, and so our national team, 1-0 Jamaica, um, you know, not surprising. It is what it is. So I'd like to thank Chris Kessel for uh, stepping in today, for coming on the show. Mike Rich uh, had a, an emergency, uh, unable to join us today. And um, so uh, Chris jumping in, we're, we're going to get into a pretty cool 
chat here in just a minute about strategic planning and what should be next for American soccer and look forward to getting into him uh, right after this break. Uh, but before we go, this half hour is sponsored by Dut Kick Brand, maker of really cool soccer products. You should check them out at DutKickBrand.com, D-U-T-K-I-G Brand.com. And when you go there and place an order, use the promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off your order and support this show at the same time. Uh, we would really appreciate that as well, and I know they would appreciate your order. So check them out at duckkickbrand.com. We will be right back after this. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in this morning. As uh, we said right before the break, Mike Rich of the Cajun Soccer Club in Lafayette, Louisiana, was unable to join us this morning, had an emergency, and uh, had to had to, uh, to reschedule. And uh, fortunately, um, in, in, in really good timing, um, we, we were able to uh, place a call on the bat phone to uh, Chris Kessel to step in and join us uh, this Thursday morning. And Chris has been gracious enough to uh, last minute drop everything and, and uh, hop on the show with us uh, to talk about strategic planning and where we go from here. Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. You know, super substitute. You bring me on at the end here to get a goal when, when it's needed. You know how it works. Absolutely. Um, you know, if, if this was the NBA finals, you're the you're the sixth man uh, uh, on this Thursday. But super sub uh, from the caliber of an Andre Iguodala is not a bad place to be. Um, you've won a few championships when we're, uh, playing that role today. But most other days you're a starter. Um, that just goes to show the quality that you bring to to the uh, to the broadcast, Chris, is that you're you're able to step in last minute notice and. Even when you thought you, even when you thought you know you're messy, you're sitting on the bench thinking, man, I, I got a day off. I uh, don't have to, don't have to do much. I'm going to come and, and take in the match. You know, be ready if needed, but probably won't need me. Get the call, come in, score the game winner, 
the match winner. Everybody goes crazy, and here we are having Chris Kessel on the show and filling the same role. Thanks, my man. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for having me. So, look, um, I, I, you and I have talked a lot offline, online, about strategic planning and the need for strategic planning um, and and that goes for the entire country. You know, where are we going as a country? And um, you you tweeted about this, um, I, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, uh, about the need for strategic planning. And and I, I just want to, to, to spend some time talking about the need for a strategic plan and ask why the U.S. Soccer Federation has not had a strategic plan um, for at least 15 years or more um, in terms of, you know, for the present day. Now, there was a Project 2010 that came and went. So even if you claim that there was a strategic plan up until that point, since 2010, I haven't seen any kind of real master plan that, um, you know, there's been white papers and thoughts thrown out there, but nothing that's been cohesive, clear, and in action oriented in terms of, um, of of a strategic plan. So at least in the last nine years, say the last five years, certainly not since Carlos Cordero has been elected, it's been over a year, still haven't seen anything from him specifically in his administration. So where where is a strategic plan? Why do we need a strategic plan for U.S. soccer? Well, you know, the first thing is, is we have a mission statement, you know, preeminent sport, blah, blah, blah. We have a mission statement, okay? And it's a good mission statement. The thing is, is if we don't have as organizationally steps to accomplish that goal, it's just a dream. So basically right now, U.S. soccer is operating on a let's dream and hope it happens. That's our plan. You know, U.S. soccer is made up of hundreds of constituent organizations, which are made up of tens of thousands of constituent organizations that have millions of members. And without somebody steering the ship, like I said, we're just operating on hopes and prayers dreams, it'll all work out, and without somebody, actually, not somebody, because what you need to do, I mean, I, th- I think that your listenership is smart enough to know that, you know, you bring together all of the relevant organizations or lots of relevant organizations that represent the full spectrum of people involved in U.S. soccer, and you sit down and you work out okay, this is the plan to get to where we want to go, which is to make soccer the preeminent sport in the United States. And then we say, okay, that's how we're going to get there, or that's where we want to get. Now, how are we going to get there? And as soon as there is a plan in place, which is what, you know, it's strategic planning. I mean, it's exactly what it is. And then we're going to say we then have metrics and benchmarks that are laid out, perfectly spelled out. We're going to get here. This is how we're going to get there. Then every member organization of U.S. soccer can go, okay, our job is now to help facilitate this overall growth. Because as a member, that's what we're here to do. You know, we're not here to just be, you know, doing our own thing. And it's not the Wild West anymore. 
and we're all rowing in the same direction. We're pulling in the same direction. And we don't see the drop in participation that we're seeing, you know, red drop in registrations, which is happening on the youth and adult side on the amateur space. And we probably, you know, start to see the growth that is necessary to be the preeminent sport in the United States. And um, I really noticed, so I guess if you're not in the policy wonk kind of area of soccer in this country, you might not have ever noticed that there's not a strategic plan. You know, I uh, worked for a couple of really large nonprofit organizations that are kind of similar to how U.S. soccer is. I was a 4-H agent, and then I was a, uh, you know, with the YWCA, and um, they're kind of similar to how U.S. soccer is. It's, you know, a big national office and then tons and tons of members all across the country. Both of them have millions of members, just like U.S. soccer and thousands of Location. Sorry about that. I'm standing outside since it is the, uh, you know, on the, you know, hurry. I don't have a bunch of traffic driving by. But um, the uh, without direction from the national office, everybody would have just been doing its own thing, and there wouldn't be a push to accomplish these big overarching goals that the organizations had. And when I got involved with West Virginia Soccer. I wrote a blog post about it after my very first – well, no, not my first. I went to a couple meetings, and it took me a couple to kind of realize what was going on. But the first time I, I went to a meeting for West Virginia soccer, a uh, board meeting, and we were talking about what are we going to do? What, how are we going to solve this? How are we going to do that? Where are we going forward to? And every meeting since then, it's either been a board meeting – where I just went to a planning meeting last weekend at State Cup, and uh, it was the same thing. We were trying to figure out how we fit into the space of soccer in this country and where we were going to go. We had no direction. So it was up to us to pay attention to what everybody else was doing, whether it were was our neighbor states, U.S. Youth Soccer, U.S. Adult Soccer, USASA, uh, you know, how U.S. club and, and all of the regional leagues and, and just everything around us was moving and shifting. And then how do we continue to best serve our members, you know, because West Virginia soccer is, is, is nothing without its members. So we were trying to have to figure out how we were going to be able to best serve our members organizationally by looking at what everybody else was doing. And nobody else was working together to, to have a plan for either adult soccer or youth soccer, and especially with all these competing organizations, and it makes it really, really tough. Obviously, West Virginia soccer isn't big enough that we can shift the national narrative of how youth soccer or adult soccer is going to work. So, I mean, we we are at the, the whim and mercy of everybody else, and without leadership from above, you know, what's, uh, you know, PA East doing and what's EDP doing and what's so-and-so doing, you know, Without somebody above that really setting the direction, the tone and tenor of how the sport's going to work in this country, we're just out here trying to navigate a flawed, you know, random system just like parents. 
and just like coaches and just like players. And you can't have leadership in this country at this, I mean, state level, you know, the big league, even the regional league level. You can't have, you know, all of us out here trying to navigate this shifting system every year and come up with long-term plans when we can't have some sort of certainty of this is the direction everybody's going and that we want to go as a country. And that's what U.S. soccer needs to do and has to do if we ever hope for things to change and get better. And that's just leaders showing leadership. So question. Are you going to bring every – okay, go ahead. Yeah, question on that. Um, You you mentioned – about the the people to bring together for that original strategic plan. So if you bring together the current stakeholders and the current members mm-hmm. and representatives, which you would have to imagine would want to be in that room. And, you know, yeah. just to name some of those names, U.S. Youth Soccer, U.S. Adult Soccer, U.S. Club Soccer, USA. Uh, AYSO, state associations, um, you you start going down the list, Major League Soccer, USL, NPSL, all these stakeholders. They They are all a part right now of a dysfunctional mess. What reason do you have to think that if you put all those people in the room that they would all vote against themselves because the path forward the strategic plan that needs to come forward is going to require changes to every one of those members in the Mm -hmm. way that they operate in order for us to get things going in the right direction so what confidence do you have that if all of those people were put in a room that we would come out with anything different than what we have today well, so I think that that gives a, a very um, – that's a very good question. And, you know, that's what – for first, we can have confidence or not have confidence that these people are going to actually do what's best for the game when they're in the room with all the other people. And we can bring in professional facilitators. You actually had one on yesterday, Ruth Nicholson, professional facilitator. And, you know, government, governance experts, you know, you bring in people like them and then you have everyone dialogue and discuss and hopefully they do what's right for soccer. If they don't and they can't develop a plan and, you know, they can't come with a with a path forward, as we've talked about many a times, then it puts it out in the open because they'll they'll come up with a document and they'll come up with a strategic plan and a strategic vision. You don't pay a ton of money, you know, to people to develop this because you have to bring in professionals and outside people and not have something. And when that document is distributed to everybody, then it's then all of the member organizations can look at it and say, "Hey, I thought you all were going to give us a plan. This isn't a plan. This is just a rehash of exactly what we have now, and that's nothing. This doesn't explain, you know, 
goals and metrics that are actual things. Like if you say, hey, we want, you know, if, if they're just all still random jumbled messes and they're not, we want to have this exact structure five years from now for youth soccer and this exact structure for um, professional soccer with this many teams in each of these divisions and this is how we're going to get there and this is what we want and this is the maximum and this is the minimum and this is whatever with these hard goals, then you haven't made an actual and true strategic vision. You know, I, uh, I remember when I worked for 4-H, they set out and they said, we want to have 1 million kids involved in STEM programming as, you know, to, to be future scientists at the end of, I can't remember, I think it was five years. They set out hard goals for people to attain. And if U.S. soccer can't set out hard goals, they're not leaders leading. And then it's, it's up to clubs to, to make the changes necessary at the state level and then it's up for the state, the new leaders at the state level to change their representation of all these other member organizations to actually deliver what the people want, if, if people actually do want this change. And then it also will let everybody set and look at this document and say, okay, this isn't what we want to be a part of. You know, we want to, us thousand clubs or 5,000 clubs that have been left out of this discussion we're going to do our own thing. Here is our strategic vision of how we want to operate in the soccer space. Everybody that wants to be like us, come and do what we're doing. I mean, it's, it's, I think until we actually have a plan that everybody can judge and say, because think, if, if they go in the room, I've thought about this a lot. If they go in the room, and they say, okay, MLS is still going to do its own thing, and USL is still going to do its own thing, then everybody that's interested in growing a men's professional soccer club, and they go, NWSL is still going to be independent and do its own thing, and we want to grow a professional women's soccer club, you now know specifically that we are never going to be – U.S. soccer is not interested in allowing us into that space. So we have to start a – alternate system and pathway for everybody else that's in, interested in that space. I mean, it's, it's really simple stuff to me that once you have the plan in writing, then every club, every club, you know, let's say, I mean, whatever, Alabama used soccer, if they look at it and the entire plan only addresses the DA or, you know, ENCL or, or any of these like super, you know, I got my air quotes up, elite, you know, club and player pathway models, and it doesn't address the 95% of kids that involve, you know, play local soccer, then you know that, hey, they don't care about the vast majority of our constituents other than as registration dollars. So we need to then figure out how we're going to best serve our players um, by changing leadership at the state, at USU soccer, at US club, at whatever. Because if we can look at this plan and say, this plan sucks, they're only there because we allow them to be there. Then we have to change, you know, from the ground up 
how things work and, and who allows, you know, these decisions to be made. So looking at the landscape of American soccer, I want to I want to shift just slightly to not the plan that I think would come out of that amalgamation of dysfunction and chaos. Um, mm-hmm. I want to look at what what the plan should be, what it what it should look like. Um, it, just for the audience in American soccer. The setup that we currently have is you have the Federation at a national level who personally administers a handful of things. One of those is the national Mm -hmm. team programs. The other is the professional leagues. Uh, So Mm -hmm. that's Major League Soccer, the USL Championship, USL League One. After that, they pretty much go – they also over-administer – uh, the the U.S. Soccer Development Academy. After that, right, they pretty much kind of go hands off and have right. outsourced the rest of their responsibilities and and have allowed organizations completely separate from them to come mm-hmm. into the space and just basically run wild, do whatever you, do whatever you want. And you, that is where you've seen U.S. adult soccer, U.S. youth soccer, uh, U.S. club exactly. soccer, et cetera, come in, start to run their own programming, their own licensing, their own everything um, that, that has been existing in that space, which is why I have very little faith that if you put all of those people in a room and said, vote against your business, vote against your paycheck, that it, that anything positive well, would come out of so it. So let's 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 back that up. Let's back that up one one step. You have to remember that a strategic plan isn't a vote. It's not a vote. The federation and the people that are tasked with making a strategic plan, they just get input from all of the stakeholders. The stakeholders actually don't build the plan. So the federation and whoever they task with making the plan would have final say over what goes in it. What would happen is, is U.S. Youth Soccer would sit down and say, hey, they would ask them a bunch of questions like, what are you doing now? Um, where do you want to go? How do you see yourself getting uh, being a part of getting us to here? And they would take all this information from all of the stakeholders, and then they would build a plan based on all of that. They don't actually vote on it. So U.S. Soccer could easily go, okay, USU Soccer, you want all these regional leagues, your goal is to get to 32 regional leagues or however, man, you know, I mean, I don't know what USU Soccer is playing for regional leagues, but I mean, I just know that they have them. And then there's all these leagues with US Club and USSA is doing this and the states are all doing that and, you know, ODP exists and blah, blah, blah. And you would take all this information and they would, this would probably actually be the very first time anybody has had access to everybody's plan all at once and you would take all this information together and then these professionals that do this for a living would learn all there is to know about the grand vision of every member organization in the country and then would put all that into a pot and come out with a plan so usu soccer wouldn't have a final veto power over it so us soccer could say okay these are good ideas. 
for this, that, the third, but we're duplicating them with X, Y, and Z, you know, at the DA, ECNL, the regional leagues, all this, this is all duplication of processes and services, and it's not effective. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to take over this space and U.S. Youth Soccer, U.S. Club, and, and everybody else is just going to feed into the regional league model and national league model for youth soccer, and we're going to run it. And, you know, since it's multiple people sanctioning bodies, you know, the uh, it, it's just open or it's whatever. They, whatever they did, whatever would be decided. Like, and we're going to get there in X amount of years. There's this amount of transition time. And when we get there, we want there to be 80,000 players in this space or whatever. Like, so that's how that would work. You know, we have to remember that this isn't like a vote at the National Council. This is a plan that's created by the Federation for the Federation. You know, this isn't a plan created by its members for its members. The Federation would then set the tone and direction and say, this is where we're going to get to. The Federation can unilaterally decide tomorrow to make the DA a thousand clubs. And there's nothing USU soccer or US club soccer can do about it. You know, and that's what would happen, hopefully, when you get these people in the room giving all these plans and direction, that there would be a lot of good ideas and the vision, the strategic plan would be the thing that would wrangle everything together, take the best ideas, put them in motion, and allow access to all of this stuff for everybody. Now, I, I agree with you that I don't think that uh, that it would be tough and people wouldn't be happy at all. And it would be a civil war if they came out with an actual strategic plan that included everybody and it ended a lot of these, you know, registration wars and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it, it, it would be it would make people super unhappy. But yeah, I mean, you have to think that it would also be the same thing because MLS wouldn't have a final say if they U.S. if the Federation came out and said we're only going to, our goal ten years from now is to have X amount of first division clubs, X amount of second division clubs and whatever. And we're going to put a hard, we want to put a hard cap there, or we think that a hard cap there would be the, the thing, you know, and, or we think the promotion and relegation needs to happen, or we don't think it needs to happen because whatever they say is going to be, um, uh, I, I don't want to say harmful, but it's going to change what's possible, you know, in the eyes of investors and leagues and current members and everything. And it's going to make people realize that it's not just whatever we want to do anymore. And there's going to be a massive change and fight back from everybody involved. But that's what leadership is. And if we actually, if there are people that think and that, that want an actual open pyramid, which I think everybody that cares about the sport that, that isn't a billionaire already invested in the top level, 
you know, pretty much everybody thinks that that's where eventually we need to get to, this plan would give us a roadmap to get there. And if they think, if the people that, that do make the plan say that that's not where we want to get, which is probably what would happen because there was, still would be influence from the Federation, and the Federation is influenced by MLS, as we all know, and Soccer United Marketing, then it would give every single other entity involved in soccer in this country the, the clear vision of, no, nothing's ever going to change. So we are going to disavow ourselves from that pathway, and we're going to make our own pathway. Okay, I mean, it, it's, I think that what it does is it draws a line in the sand, and it either fixes or gives us a pathway to fixing tons and tons of problems, or it really shows everybody else in the country, hey, they don't really care about you, you know, and us. And let's go and try to do something to fix it. So Does that make sense? Yeah. So for for the audience, just to, to get a, a, an understanding, if, you, if you're a soccer mom or a soccer dad out there and you're trying to figure out what in the world are they talking about, if your son or daughter goes and registers to play for a, a team in your area, if mm-hmm. you were if you were in Germany, if you were in the Netherlands, if you were in England, that registration, your child's ID and registration card, etc., mm-hmm. would be registered with the National Federation. In America. Right. You don't get registered with the National Federation. You could be if you go through the U.S. Soccer Development Academy. But if, mm-hmm. you, if you're not in the U.S. Soccer Development Academy and you go play for another team in your area, it could be with, you know, the West Virginia State Association, which is a member of U.S. Youth Soccer, or if you're an adult, uh-huh. U.S. Adult Soccer. If you if you right. are registered with a different club, it could be with U.S. Club Soccer. It could be with USSA. It could be with AYSO, and 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 all of those registrations are kind of under the umbrella of the federation, but they are not federation registrations. They are not federation right. ID cards. Um, right. And, and so what we have is, is a, a massive level of chaos and dysfunction, which has created mm-hmm. registration wars where mm-hmm. U.S. club soccer, U.S. youth soccer, AYSO, etc., are all operating their own programming and sanctioning processes. Uh-huh. And, and right. has created a bunch of competing... Um, you know, interest, conflicts of interest mm-hmm. in in an area that shouldn't even exist. I mean, to me, one of the things the Federation needs to do tomorrow is completely strip all of its national members of sanctioning power um, because sanctioning should come from the Federation. It should be yep. it should be a player registration with if I go, register my sons to play with the club, their registration should be registered with U.S. soccer. They should get a U.S. soccer right. ID card. And that card right. carries them anywhere they go to play in U.S. soccer, period. Yep. And that club could could work with 
their state association, they could work with another like U.S. club soccer to to handle programming. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe U.S. club soccer is organizing some regional leagues. Maybe the state association is organizing a state league, and that club is choosing to to register with that association to play in that league. That that's one thing, but the players themselves should be registered with the federation. Um, yep. so, so when you're looking at a strategic plan and trying to figure out a path forward, one of the things that I, I think is is completely backwards in this country is we have placed sanctioning organizations and leagues and other organizations as as a middle management or or middle layer um mm-hmm. between clubs and the federation and and yeah, so and, and have gotten that, that backwards yeah and that came from inaction by the federation for decades and decades and decades and decades up until U.S. youth soccer started, you know, and what's happening now is, is we're paying for a lack of a cohesive plan back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. We're paying for that now, and eventually, you know, we have to have a plan, even if, look, I, I agree with you that, you know, U.S. Youth Soccer and U.S. Club and all these services are, are duplicative services and they, they don't need to happen and the Federation should be handling all this. The easiest way to stop the registration wars to me is for the Federation to handle, instead of running the DA, the Federation should handle all national and regional leagues because that's what all of these different, you know, services are offering are national and um, regional leagues with different registration, you know, with different roster building mechanics. That's all that they are. At the end of the day, that's all that they are because they both offer an equivalent to ODP. I can't remember what um, U.S. Club's version of ODP is, but you know, they all offer kind of these other services or whatever, but they're secondary to roster building mechanics and regional and national leagues. And um, that's the easiest way to solve that problem is is for U.S. soccer to step in and handle the building and um, management of these uh, regional and national leagues and it, it slows down the competition. It slows down the roster war. I mean, the uh, registration wars. And we, we go from there. But that comes back to what we've talked about time and time again. And you've talked about it on your show with tons of guests. Leaders have to lead. And currently, our leadership in all of the spaces that there is, whether it's adult men's soccer, adult women's soccer, amateur adult soccer, this transitionary, you know, national league in women's and men's amateur soccer, youth soccer, the federation is not leading. It is allowing, you know, all of these things to exist in, you know, for lack of a better term, the Wild West. It's allowing organizations to just do whatever they want and uh, there is no cohesive plan. There is no destination 
you know, for everybody to build towards. And the Federation has to step up and lead. So looking looking as as we're um, heading here towards the, the end of the show, um, I, I want to ask you, what are the next steps as we as we look ahead? I mean, what what if you if you were to lay out, you know, say a, a two, three, four, five bullet point uh, next step type of list, um, what would be the next steps in order to get a strategic plan and and address the dysfunction and chaos that exists in U.S. soccer today? Um, people on the board of U.S. soccer, somebody, at least somebody, has to publicly call for the creation of strategic plan and vision with, with you know, measurables and targets and goals to be created. And they have to publicly call for it to the point where everybody that's involved with soccer at the lowest levels Here's about it. If we don't have um, a campaign from within the organization calling for this, it's never going to happen. There is going to be no external force that can force this strategic plan, you know, to be created. And I think that that's the number one thing. And I don't know who's going to call for it. And if it isn't called for, there's a vice presidential election coming up at the next AGM. And if people actually want to see change or if they actually want, you know, to have their job be easier, even if you don't necessarily want to see change, if you're happy with MLS and USL and NWSL and whatever, slow and steady growth or whatever people want to say, and you're happy with that, you still want your job to be easier as a state association. You're probably a volunteer. You're probably setting in all kinds of planning meetings that suck. And this would make your job easier. This would eliminate argument after argument when you go, the Federation wants us to build towards this exact thing. This is how they want us to run our state cup. This is how they want us to do entry into regional league and national league. This would make your job easier. It doesn't matter which side of the fence you set on for, you know, massive structural change. You want your job to be easier. Everybody has a job, and everybody wants their job to be easier, and this would make it easier. I mean, that's that's number two. Number one, we need the leaders that are in power now to lead. Number two, we need the leaders at the grassroots level, the state level, the club level, the, the league level. We need all of them to stand up and call for this plan because it's going to give everybody direction. Those are the two bullet points. It's, it's, up, it's time for leaders to lead. Whether you're at the lowest level or you're at the highest level, it's time for you to lead. I, I completely agree, and I think that is a great place for us to, uh, to wrap up today's conversation. Um, in in regards to strategic planning in U.S. soccer, it, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show about how the Dutch Federation, after having disappointments in uh, the Euros 2016, uh, World Cup 2018, in those cycles, uh, started to to rethink what they were doing, and um, 
in terms of developing players and talents, etc. And, you know, those are the kind of conversations that are not even really being had at a national level. And it, and it comes down to the fact of lack of leadership, um, which then results in a vision and strategic plan. It goes beyond what you were, you called at the beginning of a, our conversation today, a dream, uh, you know, a mission statement without a plan is just a dream. And I think that's a, a great way to put it. And uh, Chris, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and um, and spending some time with us talking about a strategic plan and, and the need for leadership. And it's time for those who are involved in U.S. soccer in all levels to uh, step up, speak up and uh, help get us pointed in the right direction because right now we're we are going in a million different directions uh and nowhere fast so thanks for joining the show today i really appreciate you uh, stopping in filling in uh, you 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 are beyond the sixth man you you were just a starter that had a rest day and you and you got to jump back in so i uh, appreciate you doing that well thanks for having me you know i'm happy to come on anytime absolutely that is chris kessel of the West Virginia Soccer Association joining us today. I I really appreciate him uh, coming on the show and spending some time with us, jumping in um, and and filling in. Thought he had a rest day, uh, had to get get suited up and play. So thanks to him for doing that. The sponsor for this uh, half hour of the show is Charity Water. Learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks for tuning in this Thursday, June the 6th. I uh, really appreciate Chris Kessel being able to uh, step in, fill in. Uh, Mike Rich had an emergency, wasn't unable to join us today. Uh, we will get him rescheduled and hopefully back on the show soon. Um, you know, leadership is the key. It is the key for, for any organization, and it is certainly the key for the U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, we've got to wrap our arms around our opportunities, our issues, find solutions, work together and build a better future. We're not there yet. We're nowhere close, but if we ever get it right, we can be the greatest soccer country on earth. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll see everybody again tomorrow. As always, you can watch the show live 
at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on DanielWorkman.com. You can also listen later on the podcast or find us online as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everybody again tomorrow.